Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of Serial Access. I hope you are all excited to hear about this notorious serial killer who actually caught my interest when I first heard about him. You may be wondering, who am I talking about? Well, he goes by the name of Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into his story and let's find out more information about what happened and why he is the way that he is. Alright, so Jeffrey Dahmer, he was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on May 21st of 1960. His parents were Lionel and Joyce Dahmer, and he was a very energetic and happy young child until the age of four. Uh, He did have to have a hernia surgery for a double hernia when he was four years old. So once he had that surgery, it was like a switch flipped in his mind and he started to be very shy and not very energetic. He was very to himself and just didn't want to be around anyone. But he did like to know what things felt like and the texture that they were. One day he was watching his father pull out bones. They're animal bones, not human bones. But he was watching his father take bones from the like underneath part of the house and he realized the sound that they made when his father would pick them up and drop them into the bucket so if you're wanting to know what the sound that he heard sounded like get yourself a bucket and just if you eat chicken one day or if you you know have any like um, wooden spatulas or anything like that in your kitchen take those and drop those into a bucket that's the sound that he heard and he got so fascinated with that that he picked he walked over there picked up a handful of the bones and dropped them back down into the bucket just to hear what the sound was again jeffrey's family was one of those families who they moved around a lot they finally did settle down in a town called Bath, and that's located in Ohio. At the age of seven, he was given a dog, and they allowed the child, Jeffrey, to have input on what the dog's name would have been, and they did name the dog Frisky. His father and mother thought that he needed to be more involved, so they let Jeffrey name his little brother, and he chose the name David. 
At the age of 10, his mother was admitted into the hospital for overdosing on medications she was addicted to. Those were prescription medications, non-prescription medications, um, several just different types of medications, and she was admitted into the hospital for overdosing on those. As Jeffrey entered his teen years, he began to pick up roadkill in garbage bags and he would dissect the animals. He would place heads on sticks. He would display the dissected animals in the woods. Jeffrey had stated in an interview that the dissection of animals was the beginning of his downward spiral. He also stated that he started feeling sexually towards men when he was a teenager. He stated that at age 14, his violent and sexual thoughts got worse. He planned to lie next to an unconscious man who he could just lay next to. Um, He knew that there was a jogger who would jog by his house every day, and his plans were to hit the jogger with a branch and then take him into his room where he could lie next to him. But the day that Jeffrey had waited for, the jogger never showed up. Once he hit high school, he couldn't cope with his thoughts anymore. He started to drink, and that supposedly helped him cope with the issues and to keep his thoughts at bay. He was labeled as a class clown in high school because he would run up and down the hallways, flapping his arms and yelling things like, hurricanes coming, fire alarms, so on and so forth. Um, But a lot of his classmates and his peers called it doing a Dahmer. Me personally, I feel like that should have raised red flags to the school and the school should have said something and the school should have pulled him in to the counselor's office or anything. They should have dealt with the issue. In junior year, his class went to Washington, D.C., and he had told his classmates that they were going to go and see the vice president. And they just looked at him and was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, they didn't believe him. Those weren't their exact words, but nowadays that's more than likely what children would have said. Yeah, whatever, sure, I guess. (laughs) He then went to a payphone and he called the vice president's office and told them that him and his classmates were in Washington, D.C. and that they worked for the school newspaper and that they wanted to speak with the vice president for the paper. They agreed to let the students come and meet with him. So that's what Jeffrey and his friends did. Jeffrey was a model student. He was very respectful to his teachers by saying yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, those types of things. Uh, He did become less interested in school as he got older. He stated that high school didn't interest him and started to not be engaged with people and his classmates. At the age of 18, in 1978, his parents divorced and his mother took his brother David back to Wisconsin. His father moved into a hotel. So Jeffrey was left home all by himself. But here's my thing on that. Your mother left. You are home by yourself. Wouldn't you have called your father or said, hey mom, I want to come with you? I personally would have checked on my child. I don't have any, but I would have thought that you would have checked on your child and seen if your child was okay, if the father was back at home since you knew that he moved into a hotel. But that's just, that's just me. Weeks after his graduation, he picked up a hitchhiker who was 18-year-old Stephen Hicks. They drank beers and hung out. 
When Hicks tried to leave, Jeffrey hit him with a barbell and then strangled him. He then dismembered him with a knife and put the pieces of the body into a garbage bag and then placed them into his car. He then planned to drive to the dump and leave the bags there, but on the way to the dump, he got pulled over by a cop, and when the cop asked him about the bags and why he was out so late, he lied. He said that he couldn't sleep because of his parents' divorce and that he was going to drop some things off at the dump. The cop didn't think anything of it and just wrote him a ticket and let him go. I honestly, I can't believe that the cop didn't investigate that. Like, well, let me see what's in the bags or you're out awfully late. And how would the cop even know that your parents were getting a divorce? Like, is that going around town that your parents got a divorce and that you're home alone? Wouldn't that draw suspicion? But anyways, so that is the least he could have done. He could have just said, hey, let me see inside the bags. Hey, let me see what's going on. But I guess since it was the 70s, there wasn't a lot of crime going on for murderers or serial killers, those types of things. So they really didn't think anything of it. They just, I guess, let it go. But I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so he did return home and he placed the remains under the house for two weeks while the body decayed. He then took the bones behind the house and smashed them with a sledgehammer. Afterwards, he spun around in a circle, throwing the smashed pieces into the yard. In August, his father stopped by the home and asked, where's your mother and Dave? He stated they were gone. His dad decided at that moment that he was going to move back into the house. When he moved back in, he wanted Jeffrey to get a job and to stop drinking, but Jeffrey didn't want to do that. He didn't want to get a job. He didn't want to stop drinking. He just wanted to do what he wanted. So his father made him go to AA meetings and a psychological appointment. By the end of the summer, he was still jobless. And so his father told him he needed to go to college and that he enrolled him in Ohio State. Jeffrey was drunk the whole first quarter and he was selling plasma to buy the beer that he was drinking. He ended up flunking out and had to go back home. His father said that since he didn't want to get a job and that he flunked out of college, he should go into the armed services. After basic training, he was sent to San Antonio Hospital to learn about how to be a field medic. He then was sent to a six-month tour in Germany, but he drank every day and they gave him an early discharge. He moved to Miami Beach right, at, right away. Like right after he got discharged, he moved to Miami Beach. But honestly, that didn't last very long. He did live in a hotel, but since he drank every day, he began to struggle paying his bills. So he started sleeping on the beach. He then called his father and asked his father for some money and his father said, no, I will give you a ticket to come home, but he stated that he will not give him any money. By home, his father met his grandmother's house in Wisconsin. So he stayed with his grandmother, which is his father's mother, near Milwaukee, and he seemed to try to turn his life around. He had stopped drinking and started going to church with his grandma. He got a job at a blood bank and then got a job at a chocolate factory. After living with his grandma for three years, he was face to face with his thoughts once again because a man had approached him at the library and gave him a note 
talking about exchanging sexual favors. Dahmer did decline the offer, but he wanted a submissive male. He only cared about his needs, and he did not worry about the needs of others. So, he started with a store mannequin. He got the mannequin, and he stored it in his closet, and he only brought it out to masturbate on the mannequin. But, his grandma walked in on him when he was doing that one day, and she made him get rid of it. She said it was disgusting. That right there would have raised so many red flags. Why didn't you think anything of that. Why did you just let that go? That just blows my mind on how you can walk in on someone masturbating on a mannequin and just being like, oh no, it's perfectly fine. It's okay. Like, no, it's not. It's not okay. It's not fine. It's it's disgusting. It's disturbing. So once Jeffrey had to get rid of the mannequin, he started to go to porn shops and to clubs. But the thing was, he would bring men home and put sleeping pills in their drinks so that way he could lie next to them and listen to their heart and the way that their organs sounded when they were unconscious. Gay bars were his hunting grounds. A detective said that guys would say that he was very attractive and that they also called him honey. He did have a type though. He wanted someone who was lean, smooth, muscular, and color honestly did not matter. But in November of 1987, he picked up 25-year-old Steve Toomey at a club called 219. He took him to the Ambassador Hotel to stay the night. He put sleeping pills in Steve's drink to only spend the night with him. Jeffrey woke up and noticed that he had bruises on his arms and that Steve had bruises on his chest and neck and that blood was coming from his mouth and he was slumped over the bed. Jeffrey then ran to the store and got the biggest suitcase that he could find. Then he stuffed Steve into it. He later on took the body to his grandma's house and dismembered the body in the basement next to the floor drain. He later decided that he wanted to keep his partner submissive, not just for the night, but forever. So he returned to the club and found 14-year-old James Dockstetter at the bus stop right outside of Club 219. He offered James $50 to come home with him. Once at Jeffrey's grandma's home, he then asked the individual if they could exchange oral sex, in which they did, while his grandma was asleep. He then drugged and strangled James, hid the body in the basement for a week, and continued to have sex with the body. When the body started to decay, he dismembered the body next to the floor drain. Two months after Doc Stutter, Jeffrey picked up 21-year-old Richard Griero from the bar. He offered him money just like he did James Doc Stutter to stay the night so that way they could sleep together. He then drugged and strangled Richard and then had sex with the corpse. He then dismembered the body and placed the pieces into garbage bags and placed them outside for the city garbage to pick up the next day. In the summer of 1988, Jeffrey's grandma told him he needed to move out because she didn't like how he had been out so late and she started to smell a foul odor. Now hold on, if you're smelling a foul odor, wouldn't you investigate that? Or is your first assumption, oh, Jeffrey must have been doing it? 
honestly, me, I would have gotten my happy self up, went and investigated, found out where the smell was coming from, and if I would have found out any foul play had been going on in my basement, I so would have let the cops know. I would have called them. I'm sorry, but I would have. He then took an apartment in the Milwaukee West Side area where he started to go down a downward spiral. He approached a 13-year-old boy on the street and lured him into his apartment where he tried to fondle him, but the boy ran. Jeffrey then was charged with second-degree sexual assault charges but only got one year work release where he would stay at the night, stay the night at the prison. 10 days before starting his sentence, he struck again. He picked up 26-year-old Anthony Sears. He mummified Anthony's head and genitals and kept them inside his locker at the chocolate factory. Nearing the end of his program, his father did write a letter to the judge asking him to place Jeffrey into an alcohol treatment program, but no program was ordered. Two months later, he was released. He moved into Oak Apartments, another low-income apartment complex in Milwaukee. That was close to the gay clubs in the area. Three weeks later, he started his one-year killing frenzy. Jeffrey stated that he tried fighting the urges, but he couldn't control it. He then drugged 14-year-old Conorak Synthesophone, who was the brother of the individual that he went to jail prior to this for trying to fondle him. Jeffrey then drugged Conorak and decided that he needed to get more beer. Conorak had woken up and ran into the middle of the street naked. A concerned neighbor called 911, but... By the time 911 actually arrived, like the police officers actually arrived, Jeffrey had already returned to the apartment and gotten the boy inside. Jeffrey told the cops that the teen was a gay lover and that he was mad because they got in an argument. Then invited the cops to come into his apartment where he then showed them Polaroids of the naked teen. The cops believed Jeffrey's story at that time that the teen was of age and that they would just chalk it up to a domestic issue. As soon as the cops left, he killed Conorak inside the apartment. The bodies did start to pile up though, and Jeffrey made the decision that he needed to buy a 57 gallon drum. He filled it with a powerful acid, then placed the torsos and limbs into the drum, and once they had become a sludge, he would then dump them into the toilet or in the bathtub drain. For the other body parts, he would boil the skin off the bone on top of the stove. The odor of death started to fill the apartment building, and other tenants had traced the smell back to Dahmer's apartment. He did keep some things, like little keepsakes, uh, like Polaroids um, of the process of him removing the flesh from the bones. He did preserve some of the parts of his victims, though. He then decided that he would plan to build a shrine out of skeletons and skulls, but he was still seeking the perfect submissive partner who was not going to decay. He experimented by taking a power drill and drilling holes into the skulls of his victims and injecting the acid straight into their brain while they were alive, but none of them lasted longer than a day. 
he started to eat pieces of their flesh because it made him feel like they were a part of him and it gave him a sexual satisfaction. So in July of 1991, a man by the name of Tracy Edwards managed to escape the apartment of Dahmer and he flagged down a passing patrol car. When the cops entered the apartment, they found 83 pounds of dismembered boy body parts in various stages of decay. They also found four in-fleshed skulls still in the fridge. The TV crews had watched what was left of the men being brought out of the, par- out of the apartment. A 57-gallon drum with three men inside. A freezer with the dismembered limbs and flesh. Metal cooking pots with mummified hands and genitals in them. Like, that is disgusting. There was no lie that he could tell to get himself out of this. He started to blame the booze because he was scared and he cried several times while talking to the cops. Jeffrey then spent six weeks going over everything. It translated into a 159-page confession. Cops went to the childhood home and raked up the bones of his first victim. Jeffrey Dahmer pled guilty with insanity in Milwaukee, but at that time, Milwaukee did not have a death penalty. In January of 1992, Dahmer walked into the courtroom looking normal until his confession was read by Lieutenant Dennis Murphy. Jeffrey's father sat in the courtroom by his second wife, Sherry. A 10-2 jury found him guilty, but sane. Prior to sentencing, the family of the victims were able to speak their statements before the judge in regards to Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey did speak publicly for the first time, and he stated that he felt so bad for what he had done and that he would give his life if he could bring back the victims. But honestly, I watched him speak in court and I saw no remorse. I do have the video on the Serial Access website, so if you guys want to take a look at that, let me know what you guys think. Let me know on Twitter and on Instagram at Serial Access if you guys saw any remorse in Jeffrey when he was speaking publicly for the very first time about the case and what he had done. Let me know if you guys actually think that he actually was sorry. He was sentenced to 937 years in prison. He arrived at Columbia Correctional Institution in November of 1992. In November of 1992, the apartment where Dahmer lived was torn down due to nobody would rent it and nobody would live in it and it was a hard thing for the families of the victims to drive by when they had to go buy it to go somewhere. While in prison, Jeffrey stated that he wanted to be baptized, so he started going to the chapel. They did baptize him in the prison medical center Whirlpool tub. Jeffrey's whole adult life, he was the predator, but once he was in prison, he became the prey. In August of 1994, he was attacked in the chapel with a makeshift knife, but he did survive that attack. But on November 28th of 1994, an inmate by the name of Christopher Scarver, who also called himself 
Christ, bludgeoned Dahmer with a metal rod from the prison gym. Dahmer did pass away on his way to the hospital. I haven't found much on why Christopher did it. I just know that he got the metal rod from the prison gym and that he had bludgeoned him. I don't know why he did it and I don't know if he was part of like one of the victim's families or if there was a hit out on Jeffrey. None of that was ever disclosed from what I could find. Um, but if I do find anything, I will give an update. But I do hope that you guys did like this episode of Serial Access. I will have a episode two out next week. Let me know if you have any suggestions. If you do have any suggestions, please feel free to go to our website at serialaccess.com and click on the Submit a Serial Killer. And we will look into the case and see if it would be something that we would be able to talk about. But I do hope that you guys did enjoy this podcast and I will see you guys next time.